May 26th, May 26th of last year is a day that I remember very clearly. <clears throat> My wife and I were walking around our neighborhood with Timmy in the stroller. And during our stroll, she said something to me in passing. She said, do you want to run in a half marathon? I smirked and politely dismissed it with a, yeah, sure. The very next day, May 27th, I'll give you the timestamp if you want, 1.28 p.m., I get an email confirmation from the Philadelphia Marathon, basically saying, congratulations, ha, ha. And I was shocked. I was like, she really did it. She signed me up. And I went over to my wife and I said, honey, you can't just sign someone up for something this serious after a conversation that just happened in passing. And she said to me, let your yes be yes and no be no. <laughs> Brothers, let that be a lesson to you. If your wife asks you something, whether it's in passing or direct, let your yes be yes and no be no. But that's not the focus of today. The focus is on the race, on running. And the Apostle Paul often uses this illustration, this analogy to describe the Christian faith, the Christian journey, the Christian walk. We see in places like 2 Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Elsewhere in Hebrews 12, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. <clears throat> and again, in our text today, we see the analogy of being runners in a race being used. So what is this race? Who are the runners? And what is the reward? The gospel message today is that God calls us in Christ to run the race with one another for glory. I'll say that again. God calls us in Christ to run the race with one another, and yes, for glory. So the three points we'll look at today is the race, second, the runners, and third, the reward. So first point, the race. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 14. If we look at this section, I'll read it for us again very quickly, verse 12 and 13. Paul writes, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 12 and verse 13 are saying the same thing in the same way. The first part is saying a negative. <clears throat> the second part is affirming the positive. If you look, verse 12 in the first section, Paul writes, I have not already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. The beginning of verse 13, I have not made it my own yet. Paul is referring back to this previous desires in chapter 311 
where he wants to make the resurrection from the dead his, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that I would know Christ. And this knowing Christ for Paul is not just theological. It's that of worship. It's not that one of just simple doctrine. It's of devotion. This is what Paul wants to know. This is what Paul wants to attain. But he affirms, in case we misunderstand him, he says, I have not yet attained this. But in the second part of verse 12 and 13, he affirms a positive. Look with me. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is saying that Jesus has made me his own at the cross, where he ransomed my life with his own. His nail-pierced hands remind you and I of that, that he has made us his own. He has made you his own. And this race is about one thing and one thing only, that as we run, with each and every stride, we would be made like Christ. That by the time we reach the end, he will be ours as we are his. This race is about making Christ our own as we lay down our life to follow after him, knowing that he has made us his own. And verse 13 does the very similar affirmation here. The second part of verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul is saying that he forgets what is behind him, anything he considers as good, and anything he considers even negative. If we think about this, if the Christian is a runner, then in some ways the Apostle Paul is biologically superior. He himself says that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. His training and devotion, in some ways, is superior. He continues, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He says, if anyone has any reason to boast, it's me. But he says, whatever gain I had, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying is he forgets what lies behind, even his accolades, even anything he thinks that he can hold on to for some kind of identity or merit. But he also leaves something else behind in the past, doesn't he? As a runner, Paul, in some ways, is very superior. But in other ways, he's also one of the most shamed runners of our faith. In fact, he was the very one who shamed himself as he imprisoned other Christians as he persecuted other Christians, as he murdered other Christians, he himself says, I am the chief of sinners. If anyone ought to have felt shame in the church, it was Paul. If anyone 
ought to have felt like they didn't belong, it would have been Paul. Yet, in all of this, as he considers this, as he looks back, he says, I will forget what lies behind me. In some ways, perhaps the Apostle Paul's life verse is the same thing that I've adopted. That that old Paul is dead. That he's been crucified with Christ. Well, actually, I guess that is his life verse. He wrote it in Galatians. This is what Paul is saying. Whatever is behind, whatever failures, whatever shame, whatever guilt, whatever successes, whatever I thought could give me any merit, I forget it. And I press on towards Christ. Because he is freed from the past successes and failures. He says, I press on. And brothers and sisters, be aware, it's not just failures that stunt our growth sometimes. Often, it is the sense of success. Paul says, I forget what lies behind. And I strain forward. And verse 14 takes verse 12 and 13 and it presses it into us. He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize here, Paul is not running so that at the end his name will be called and announced as some would think in the Greek Olympics or the games. No, Paul affirms that he has already been called in Christ. His name has already been announced. He doesn't run to earn an announcing of his name. He runs because in Christ God has already called him. The call demands us to join the race. We don't run in order to be called. And brothers and sisters, isn't this encouraging even as we think about worship? As we hear God calling us to worship, he brings us, he calls us, and he tells us to run. Paul says, I press on towards the goal of being made like Christ, to be raised from the dead, to be glorified like him, unable to sin, and sin unable to affect him no longer. You know, many of us know who have ever trained for any athletic event that much of the training is not physical. It's internal. It's mental. It's spiritual. As you lift weights and as you run, as you play, as you exert yourself physically, there's an internal drive, an internal tempo, where you say to yourself, keep going. One more. Almost there. Press on. And for Paul, as he runs the race of faith towards glory, he says, I press on. I forget what lies behind, and I strain forward. Paul is stating here the reality of the Christian life, that Jesus has already made us his own, but we have yet to be perfected. And so we press on. Because we know the truth has already been secured, that we are his, we belong to him. Yet while we are here and now struggling and striving, we press on. 
Let this be the internal voice that guides you. Press on. When I feel like the chief of sinners, I press on. I keep stumbling and falling into temptations, but I press on. I'm prone to wander, and my love is less than fervent, but I press on. I am tired of the fight. I am tired of the race, but I press on. I press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Press on. Press on. Press on. Can we turn to the person next to you and say, press on? You know, if that felt too strange for you, then we're in some trouble. How can we run in this life with one another if we can't even say, press on? Press on, brothers and sisters. Christ has made you his own. Press on. The second point, the runners. We look at verses 15 through 19 here. The runners. In verses 15 through 16, Paul says, let those of you who are mature think this way. Know that you are not yet perfect, but Christ has already made you his own, so press on. Don't hold on to the false sense of having already arrived or that you're too broken to continue. He basically says, don't walk around like your sins don't stink, but also don't walk around feeling sorry for yourself, but hold true to what you have already attained. We are being reminded again to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he ran the race for the joy that was set before him so that we might be saved. We are being reminded again here of chapter 2. We visited a couple times in the past weeks. We're in Christ, we are called to run the race with one another, with one mind, with one love, with one accord. It is the humble runners who can endure. He continues in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He is saying, follow me as I follow Christ. He's saying, run with me as I run with you. And we will spur one another on towards Christ. He is saying, follow the examples that we have been given through the apostles and the disciples. Follow the example of Christ who laid his life down for us. Christians must run together. Paul continues, although there are good models of faithful runners, verse 18 and 19, he says again with much emotion, even with tears, with a broken heart, not in judgment, that there are also bad models that we should not follow, ones we should not run with. They are enemies of what the cross of Christ stands for. They are runners who do not run towards the same goal
There are runners who run after their own selfish desires and selfish glory. We're called to run the proper race, to be runners who run with one another. Don't run in the rat race. Run in the royal race. Let me say that again. Don't run in the rat race. Run in the royal race. Well, how would you know the difference? Many of us are in the rat race, aren't we? You know you are in the rat race when there are many running, but you feel like you're running alone. You know you're in a rat race when many are running, but it's obvious that all the goals are different. You know you're in a rat race when someone stumbles and fall and you see it as your own gain. You know you're in a rat race when there doesn't seem to be an end. But the royal race, the race for the crown, how do you know? Well, you know you're in the royal race if many are running, and you know they are running with you. Where many are running, but the goal is the same. Where there is one mind, one heart, and one accord. The royal race is one in which if someone stumbles and falls, you see it as your own loss. And so you go back to run with them, to carry them. The royal race is one you know that there is a finish line, that there is an end, that there is a prize. Let me talk to the team for a second here. If you are a Christian and you are brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you and challenge you in this way. Often when we speak of running with one another, carrying one another's burdens, we think about it in a passive way such as, if someone were to share with me their weaknesses, I would love to run with them. I would love to pray for them. I would love to meet up with them. If anyone were ever initiated, I'm here. I want to be with the broken. And in some ways, yes, that is beautiful and true, but in oftentimes, that can be passive. We give a lot of lip service to unity and community, yet, we don't really feel the deepness of that bond. Rather, team, brothers and sisters, can I challenge us to run in such a way where we are actively sharing, where we are initiating, where we are being vulnerable with someone else. This is Christian maturity. This is the mind we ought to have. Christian maturity is not the willingness to listen to people's struggle and help them simply carry it, Christian maturity is the willingness to share your struggles and ask others to help you carry it. The more mature you are, the more you realize you can't run this race by yourself. The more mature you are, you see your weaknesses and blind spots, so you ask others to run alongside you, to keep you accountable, to encourage you, to challenge you. The more mature you are, you know your limits and the end of yourself. The more mature you are, you know you are not perfect, far from it, perhaps quite the opposite. The more mature you are, you boast all the more gladly 
in your weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. The more mature you are, you don't fear what others think of you. You don't fear man, you fear God. If you want to be strong, you must first come to the cross in weakness. You must be willing to go to one another in humility and weakness as well. This is the proper attitude of humility that allows us to run alongside one another. Can I challenge you in this way, brothers and sisters, to be open and to share? You don't need to walk around church with a sign with every sin you've committed this week. But can we be open to take initiative, to say, hey, can we meet up? I want to ask you to pray for me. I'm struggling this week. Can we run alongside one another actively in this way? Can we model Christ for one another in this way? Can we follow the example of Paul even in this way? As we see him as a great example of boasting in his weaknesses so that the power of Christ may be shown in him. I dare you to be willing to show your weaknesses, to show the areas that you're struggling. And if you're, if you're daring enough to do that, I hope that as we run with one another, this team could spur one another on. Now, if you have not yet joined the race, I want to encourage you to run with us. We will run with you. And when you feel like your faith is fainting, I hope that we will be there to say, press on. Church, will you be there for one another in this new year? Will you not just welcome newcomers to this place, but will you run with them out there as we leave? We must run together in this race. But what is the point? What is the reward? The third and last point, verses 20 and 21, will tell us here. Verse 20 says that we are citizens of heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. As runners of this race, heaven is our country, and Christ is our champion. Let me say that one more time. As runners in this race, heaven is our country, and Christ is our champion. He is the forerunner, the pioneer, the pathfinder, the founder, the perfecter of our faith who has gone before and attained the prize for us. He possesses it, and we await the day when he returns to give it to us. What is the reward? It is glory, brothers and sisters, but not like the one we often think about, self-glory, a selfish ambition a glory that praises our own self. No, the reward is a different kind of glory. It's a glory that reminds us that we will be like Christ, that we will be raised from the dead, that we will be sinless, that we will be perfect. We do not talk about our glory enough because it sounds bad. You know, we're okay with talking about justification 
sanctification, and we even dare talk about adoption. But glorification is something we are estranged to. Brothers and sisters, there is glory waiting for you at the end of this race. God has called you to run, not to stumble and fall, but as you stumble and fall, arriving at glory. We must know that upon being justified and sanctified and adopted, that we will be glorified, meaning we will be without sin, perfect. We will no longer be prone to wander, struggling with our fleshly desires, but we will be able to give all of ourselves without reservation, without doubt, without timidity, fully to Christ. We will be able to love him as he loves us. Doesn't it just drive you nuts sometimes as we run this race? We feel like such hypocrites. But Paul's saying that's normal because there is this internal struggle. But he says press on because Christ Jesus has made you his own. And upon finishing the race, there will be no more struggle of desire. There will be no faint-hearted love for the Lord that we profess that we love. No, upon that day, our love will be full. We will be glorified with the bridegroom as the bride is at her wedding. He will present us to himself in splendor. He's talking about us, the bride. He will present us to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy, without blemish, in full glory. And as we see ourselves and one another for the first time without sin, we will glorify for all eternity he who has glorified us. There is hope in the struggle with temptation. There is hope as we see the brokenness of what sin has done. Glory awaits. And as sure as suffering is in the present, it only points to the glory that is future. coming. Be encouraged. Now God's word affirms this to us as well. If we can click and look at the next slide. In Colossians 3, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Romans 8.30, those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. John 17, The glory that you have given me, this is Jesus talking to the Father, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. 2 Timothy 4, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Brothers and sisters, the reward is glory. As runners who run the race of faith, there is a proper, beautiful, full glory that Christ gives to you and I. If you're tired of running in the rat race, join the royal race. Run for a crown that never fades. Run for a crown that actually exists at the end. Run in such a way where you know you're running with others. 
Paul concludes here with the first verse of chapter 4. And you can see just the compassion, the love, and the zeal, and the emotions that come out as Paul says this. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, Therefore, brothers, he calls them brothers. Don't take this lightly. He says, brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He gives a final encouragement that as we run to stand firm in the Lord, you know, many of us know what shallow relationships are, but relationships only deepen as far as you're willing to struggle with one another. If you look at sports teams, you see that it is through suffering that they become one. I'm always amazed when I see military men, Marines, calling one another brothers, and it's not shallow. It's deep. It's a brotherhood. And I think about how, as Christians, sometimes we throw that word around, brothers and sisters. Perhaps because we are not willing to suffer with one another. Perhaps because we're not willing to let others in our lives and our sufferings. Perhaps we don't want to be bothered by it. But I want to challenge us. Can we run this race together for that one glory? where we will see one another without sin again and glorify Jesus for glorifying us. We must be willing to suffer and strain together in order to have joy together. You know, in the response time, we're going to sing a song that many of us might be familiar with. And I want to read the lyrics of just verse 2 and verse 3 for us. The tune hopefully is familiar, but the words might be afresh because they were translated in English. But I remember my parents and my grandparents singing this hymn. And it wasn't until recent where I saw the translation and heard the tune again where I found the deep understanding of their journey. As immigrants, as Christians, as citizens of heaven who are running the race, not just for the American dream, no, but for the crown that never fades. God renews our failing powers with his might from day to day, and in mercy on us showers grace sufficient for the way. Though the loveless streets be dreary, harsh and bleak the mountain's way, Ooh, sorry, I, I can't read this next time without getting emotional. We shall walk and not be weary, clasp his hand and sing his praise. Daily closer comes the promise when again we see the Lord, every burden taken from us, every joy in him restored. Back at home, my room is waiting. I shall walk in through that door. Join my Father celebrating, and with him live evermore. If you find, again, that you are racing without a finish line, join the royal race. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, I challenge you to run with one another, to suffer with one another, to find joy together. God calls us in Christ to run the race with one another for glory. And if I may borrow the zeal of Dr. King Jr., I know some of you are asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long must I run? How long will sin stumble my feet? How long? I come to say to you this morning, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long. It will not be long. Soon we will see the glory of the coming of the Lord, and we will receive the reward that he has secured for us. And just as he has made us his own, we will make him our own. Press on, press on, press on. Christ Jesus has made you his own. Let's pray.